This is episode number 33, Become a Student of Life, with Jim Johnson. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohi, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming conference, Path to Resilience, in Philadelphia on September 22nd. A conference where you'll have a chance to explore techniques for developing inner strength, becoming more persistent, finding your tribe, believing in yourself no matter how great the odds may be, and many more. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today. Now, let's get back to our guests. What defines a great leader? A question that some, if not most, of us seek an answer to. A question that more often than not will lead to a lifelong journey of trial and error in figuring out what makes you an effective leader. For Jim Johnson, it was no different. Without further ado, please welcome Jim Johnson. Jim, thank you so much for joining our show. It is a pleasure to have you as one of our guests. And the way that I would like to start this off is slightly different. And I would like to ask you a question. For those who may not be familiar with your story, could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Sure. I was uh, fortunate. I grew up in a very loving family. I was the oldest of six children. Uh, my mom and dad were both teachers, and my dad, in fact, was my high school basketball coach. So I f fell in love <laughs> with sports at an early age and ended up um, in actually in middle school uh, determining that uh, basketball, I, I played other sports, was going to be my first love. So I, I invested a lot of time in basketball, ended up playing for my dad in high school for three years and had a pretty good career. And, Thought I was uh, thought I was really good and thought I was going to play in the NBA. And then when I got to college, I got cut from my college team. And mm. it was very humbling, but also a good experience because it made me realize that I wasn't uh, going to be playing the NBA. Uh, but what it did is it really got me th thinking about, okay, well, I, I really love basketball. Uh, how can I still make it a part of my life? And fortunately, I figured out, okay, I want to I be a teacher and a coach. And that's what I ended up doing. I, I went to college at a state school in New York called Cortland. Mm -hmm. Had a great, great uh, education there and was able to uh, obtain a phys physical education uh, Bachelor of Science degree. And uh, after struggling early in my career, I got a opportunity actually to be a head coach at a local high school pretty close to where I grew up in basketball and I was excited I thought I knew everything about coaching and this program wasn't very good and I thought with all my basketball knowledge I was going to lead this team from the outhouse change to the it yeah mm -hmm. well uh, I led that team that year to 17 consecutive losses mm. and then 
ended up getting fired from the job. So it was a very humbling experience again after getting cut from college basketball and then uh, to lose my first varsity job, which was my big dream once I got into my profession. But fortunately, they ended up being real blessings because I realized that I still had a lot to learn. And uh, that's when I really started my journey of studying leadership because I felt if I was going to be a better coach and teacher, I had to become a better leader. And I really got into my own personal growth. I started to read a lot of books. I talked to a lot of people, started to go on different conferences and, and seminars and uh, listening to, uh, back then it was cassette tapes, but now CDs in my car and uh, really uh, started to really be a student of uh, learning and leadership was one of my passions and certainly basketball. So I, I spent a lot of time learning about that. And fortunately, uh, after being out of the, being a head coach, I got a chance to go back and be a head coach for uh, another school uh, that was a little bit further from my House. But then my big dream came true. After a few more years, I got a chance to come back to my hometown where I grew up and I was going to be the head coach at one of the schools. Uh, in my town, we had four high schools, three when I grew up, and I was going to be a head coach at one of those. And the program was in really bad shape when I took over. Unfortunately, uh, this time, uh, although we did have some struggles early, I was able um, to get the program with a lot of help from my staff and and our players buying in what we were trying to do. And we ended up turning the program around and having a lot of success. My last few years, we won a couple of division titles and things were going well. Meanwhile, I had been married at a young age and uh, my wife and I have been married now for it'll be 36 years next month. And we do have one son uh, and he actually, uh, we're very proud. He's done very well. He's actually an attorney in Los Angeles. So um, mm. the, the hard part is though, we live across the country from him. So we don't get <laughs> seems that often yeah i want to jump back and the two questions sure. i have is first one being what was it like playing with your father i i haven't had an experience like that where i was able to you know be mentored by someone who is literally sharing the same ho household as i do right what, what what were the what were some of the memories you might have had that were kind of pivotal within your career that stood out to you the most and you were able to reflect on as you progressed as a player yeah uh well, for me, it was more positive than negative playing for my father. I mean, uh, I still have a great relationship. Fortunately, he's still alive today, uh, and I'm very blessed to have him. Uh, he was a great mentor for me, and I learned a lot from him. But there were certainly challenges because when you're playing for your father and you're going to the school where he's a teacher and a coach, uh, <laughs> all those students are going to say, hey, he's playing me because uh, you know I'm his son as opposed mm -hmm. to Am I actually playing because of my ability? And so there's, I, I know there was challenges uh, for both of us from that perspective, but I, I'll say that I was very blessed um, in reflection to, to have a dad that we could, you know, mentor me not only as a basketball player, but in, in life as well, and be able to be under the same roof on a daily basis was, was really a great experience for me. Mm. And this, the second part of that question I have is, obviously, I can, I can tell by all the different books you have in the background, are there any books or, like you said, um, CDs or presentations that affected your personal growth that you might be able to share for other people who are looking for that? Yeah, I, you know, I'll give you three. I mean, I could give you hundreds because I've read <laughs> well over a thousand books now in my life. Uh, 
one of the books that really initiated when my journey was uh, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, he had studied the success literature, and I really, uh, when I started to study uh, what he talked about with the seven habits, that, that was very, very helpful. It helped me, um, which we'll probably talk a little bit more about, it, dis discovering what my purpose or mission was in life, and that was really initiated by reading that book. From a personal growth, I read his books, but I actually listened more to his audio programs. I unfortunately didn't get a chance ever to meet him or attend to one of his live seminars. But Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N, that was Tony Robbins' first mentor, um, it, it was, had a really big impact in my life. I still listen to a lot of his uh his uh, information, even though he's passed away a number of years ago, he just, just I've learned so much about the fundamentals of life from Jim Rohn. And then from the basketball perspective, again, I never got a chance to meet him, but listened to a lot of his information and read a number of his books. And that was John Wooden, the late great uh, UCLA basketball coach that had a wonderful career. Uh, but I learned a lot about coaching from the perspective of, of building relationships and caring about your in his case, players, like my case, about first before you're trying to teach them how to be basketball players, the most important thing was to teach them about the game of life. And so those were uh, between my dad, my mom, and those three people, um, their information was extremely important to me. And even though Jim Rohn and, and John Wooden have passed away, I still uh, look at their information all the time. Uh, they had great wisdom. So... What do you think allowed you to connect with a lot of the players and maybe even the coaching staff on the programs where things did go upward as far as you guys did get the wins versus the times when, you know, you mentioned the fact when you guys had 17 straight losses, not wins. What, what was the major difference between that? I, I believe it really started with me becoming better as a leader. Uh, when I really started to study leadership and realized that I had to be, and I talk, uh, I have a whole talk, a uh, presentation on leadership, which I call leadership lessons from half court. And what I do is I talk about seven keys. And these are keys that I analyzed um, through all the research I did in trial and error. And one of the keys in building relationships was to uh, how do you build trust with mm -hmm. your team? And I, I spent a lot of time really studying how to be more effective as a communicator, which is another one of my keys, and really being clear uh, and really becoming a better listener with my players by understanding I, I asked for their feedback. Um, I did that a lot better in the second half of my career, and my success uh, changed dramatically for the positive because I listened to my players, I listened to my staff. And, uh, you know, a couple of things I think that, that started to percolate in my program is because I really get, became clear about what I was all about. I, I developed a personal mission statement. I was very clear about my core values. And when I was clear with myself, that really uh, vibrated throughout our whole, our whole program. You know, our staff knew what we were all about. Our players knew what we were all about. And when, when you have clarity there, I think that's a great start. Then from there was the ability that uh, that I always wanted to keep growing, and I really shared that with my players. Uh, but you, there's a lot of things I don't know, and I want to learn from you, just like mm -hmm. a, that you'll be able to, you know, I'll be able to teach you things. 
And I, I think when you develop that mindset, I call it the service leadership mindset, where you are finding ways to serve others and helping them grow. My personal mission statement is to be a positive role model that makes a positive difference in the world by making helping other people have their dreams come true. And when I was clear about that and tried to live every day, and I can't say I did it perfectly because I certainly didn't, but when I tried to be more consistent with that basic statement and living that, then that developed trust. And, uh, you know, we can talk a little bit about trust. I mean, three mm-hmm. areas that I really feel are important in building trust is, number one, is you have to do what you say and say what you do. And I always give this illustration. I call it my non-negotiable. One of my non-negotiables was that I expected my players to be on time. And if I was going to expect that, then how important was it me to be on time myself? <laughs> and you ask my players, they would tell you I was always on time uh, because that was something that was non-negotiable. So if I showed up late and expected my players to be on time, in my opinion, that's not going to work. So I think that's a really powerful thing. Then the, the once that I started to listen to my players and laid out um, like we have what we call captain's meetings every week where I ask our players like things like how are the chemistry of the team? What do we need to do to get better this week? Um, and I really use their input very much. And the same with my staff. I had staff meetings every week and ask the same types of questions. I wanted to get as much information to help me make the best choices and decisions to help our program be successful. Hmm. I love that point because one of the things that I've been studying on my end and I've been looking at people like Simon Sinek and Tony Robbins, you know, it, it's leadership. And the question that I've always come up, or I guess the question that sparked this entire journey entirely was, what defines a great leader? You know, what, what makes someone become that? Is it something that we are born with? Is it a trait that we develop through experience and over time, um, facing adversity and finding ways to turn that into an advantage? or finding takeaways within that. In in your eyes, what defines a great leader? I First of all, I think leadership can be learned. I think certainly some people uh, might have a little bit of an advantage because they figure things out a little bit quicker than others. But I truly believe like anything in life, you can become better at it by making it a study. I think that's a really key. And when I started to make leadership a study, I thought I was a good leader when I was young. I felt... <laughs> I wasn't very good. And when I started to figure out that there were certain keys to being an effective leader, I think the first thing is, to me, leadership is influence. Now, influence can be positive or negative. I mean, Mm -hmm. give an example of uh, Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. I think you you think their influence was on the most part positive. If you think of Adolf Hitler, you think of someone's influence. He still influenced a lot of people, but it was negative. So I think the, the huge thing to be in the most effective leader is how do you influence people in leading them in a positive direction as opposed to a negative direction? Because you can influence either way. And I think that comes back to what are you all about as a person? Are you uh, going to lead by example? Um, do you Are you clear about your core values? Are you clear about your personal mission? And are you are you taking that servant leadership mindset that I'm going to find ways on a daily basis to add value to others and help others become better? And when you do that, I think you really become what I call the essence of leaders. Mm. Of leadership, I should say, then you become an outstanding leader. How do you start with something like that? Because one of the things that I 
or one of the ways that I was able to accomplish this on my end was in order to serve others or when I first defined that as a goal for myself, I started, you know, you start off small. And so I, I said, okay, if I want to serve others, how can I help one person today? And then from there, as I developed that into a habit, I said, how can I help two people and three people and four people? And then it got to a point where I stopped focusing on the numbers and it just became a natural thing. Do you have any techniques for people who are maybe be trying to become that, become servants and help others as far as work they can start at this particular moment? Well, I'll say two things. I'll say one, uh, I don't want to feel like an echo here, but I, I truly, really agree with what you, how you started. You know, the, you, you start by trying to make a positive difference in one person. Mm-hmm. And then once you uh, can, you know, develop that, then you can add the two, like you just said. I think the other thing is having real clarity on what you what you are want to accomplish, and I think that comes through having your own personal mission. I think also think it has clarity on what your goals are, both individually and then if you're a leader and you're leading some type of team organization, you've got to have goals together. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we did with our teams every year after the team was uh, picked, we would come over to my house. And we would have a day where we spend developing what are our goals, you know, and then we talked about basketball goals. We talked about how we want to conduct ourselves uh, on and off the court, all these different things. And, and we got buy-in from the team. It wasn't just Coach Johnson's goals. It was our team goals. And I think that's really important as a leader. We talked about having influence. Well, part of that is, is you got to have buy-in. And for buy-in, I think you've got to share that vision. But you got to really also hear from your people. And that's why we had those meetings. And that's why I did individual meetings often with, with players as well, because I wanted to find out what was going on. Because if, if you don't have that communication and you're, you know, your head is always in the clouds, I, I think you, your, your team, your organization can go down in a hurry. And I think that's what, if you see, you know, some of the biggest the giants in industries that were highly successful that all of a sudden imploded and no longer existence or they're really struggling, I think it all comes back to leadership. And if the leaders forget that, that connection with their people and a huge part of being an effective leader is building relationships, when you lose that, boy, it can be something. Uh, it can really plummet your, your organization. In fact, that was interesting. I won't pick on the uh, big business, but I'll say I just met with a business owner about possibly doing some work with his team. And one of their biggest competitors is a huge name that everybody would know. And in fairness, I won't bring them up. But I said, what's their issue? And you know what his first words were? Mm-hmm. Lack of leadership. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, and, and it just really convinced me what I've always believed that, you know, it, that success starts and continues with either great leadership or bad leadership and which way that's going to go. You, you bring up a very good point, and that's exactly how I've been thinking about it along the way. Obviously, I had to make my own steps in order to get to this point within the mindset, but I think one of the things you can do as a leader, and especially as an organiza- organization or as a team, is you have to understand how do you help people not only get you to a particular thing but how do you help them to get to a particular thing because oftentimes what i've noticed is that even though you could be passionate for a specific cause or in your case the players are passionate about the game 
mm-hmm. oftentimes some people may use that as a vehicle to get to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand, okay, if this person is using this as a vehicle to get to another point within their life, how do I help them get to that point and not have it be so focused and like just like you said, one-sided where, yes, we're trying to just win the game and the championship and the championship after that, but how do you help them get to that long-term goal afterwards? Yeah, I think you got a great point. And one of the things that I really try to become much better with is talking to my players as people, they got to ask them, you know, how are things going? You know, how are things in your family? And then, uh, you know, what are you working on? What, what's your ambitions in the future? And how can I support you? Mm-hmm. And I think you asked those types of questions. And I remember a great leadership question I picked up uh, from actually Jack Canfield, um, the, the co-creator of Chicken Soup for the Souls. And he has a, another great book I'll give you um, called The Success Principles that I've read a couple times. Very powerful and great ideas. But one I suggest, and I started doing at the end of the season with my teams, that was really powerful, it was this question. How do you rate me as a leader from 1 to 10, with 10 being the best and 1 being the weakest? And here's the power of the question is most times I did not receive a 10. It'd be nice if I got all 10s, but <laughs> it became more powerful when I didn't receive the 10. Here's why. Because then I got feedback because this is what I would say. Let's say they gave me an eight. I said, well, John, in your eyes, what do I need to do to become a 10? And that was the beauty of the feedback because then they would share what that is. Not necessarily that I agree with everything I had, but as I always told them, I'm not always going to agree with what you tell me, but I'm always going to listen to you. And it would really open my ears and mind to, to think, okay, here are some things I got to look at to be a more effective leader as I move forward. Hmm. I want to dive into you, uh, your work from here because I, I found it fascinating when I came across your story and I read the things that you had um, and actually the book that you had sent my way as well, which is A Coach in the Miracle. The first question I have is, what made you want to substitute J-Mac into the game in the first place? Right. Well, let me just give a very quick background. Is Jason J-Mac McElwain was my team manager for three years. Jason's on the autism spectrum, and he, it was from 2003 to 2006. He was actually served as my manager on the varsity team, the team I coached for two years. And Jason uh, was not actually a very good player. He was very little, and he wasn't too good of an athlete, and he, he was on the autism spectrum, so he had some challenges. The, the first thing, it was to answer your question specifically, the two things that jumped out to me was Jason's commitment and dedication to our team. He was a very team first guy that wanted to help our team in any way. We talked about servant leadership and then basically his goal every day was I was gonna come to practice or be part of the team in a game. And even though I wasn't a player, I was gonna contribute in any way I could. And that's what led me Oleg to giving him a chance because his dream, he tried it out for our team for three consecutive years, which I admired his perseverance. Wow. The fact, fact, I've told when I travel the country and, and share my talks, I, I share that rarely in my 30 years as a head coach, if I had a player try out for the team and not make it, they would rarely ever come back and try out again. But Jason was different. He had that perseverance. I call it the never give up mindset. And even though he didn't make the team, the next year he came to all our workouts and tried out for the team again, didn't make it again. 
didn't make it again his senior year. But his, his senior year, when I told him that he wasn't going to make the team, I said, you know what? Because of your commitment to our program and you're such a team guy, I want to give you a gift. And the gift was I want to put you in for senior night and give you a uniform. Well, uh, going back in 2006, February 15th, Jason, with four minutes to go in his senior night game, I gave him that opportunity. He got in the game. The place exploded. Uh, he got in. His first shot was a three-pointer. He missed it by like six, six feet. It wasn't very close. In fact, I, I kid people that you're not supposed to pray in the public schools, but I was praying hard. Please help him get one basket. Right, his next possession, he got closer. He, he missed a shorter shot, and it hit the rim. So I'm saying to myself, all right, God's starting to listen. We're getting closer. And then the third possession, he had another three-pointer, and this time was magic. He made it. I thought to myself, God must be a basketball fan. Not only has Jason scored, he's got a three-pointer. I can't get any better than this, right? Mm-hmm. Well, for the next three minutes, Jason turned into his boyhood idol, Kobe Bryant, Mm. and just started making shot after shot. And when the smoke had cleared, Jason had scored 20 points in less than four minutes, including six three-pointers. He was a team-leading scorer and ended up being a global inspirational story. He won an ESPY for the greatest sports moment of the year. And the the funny part is... Um, in the greatest sports moment of the year, they had four finalists. Jason was one. One of the other finalists was his boyhood idol, Kobe Bryant. He had 81 points in a game that year, and Jason beat him out for the ESPY. So that, that was pretty interesting. Jason and I, actually, after Jason left the school and graduated, after two years, he came back and asked me if he could be part of the program again, and I opened him with a um, open arms and he uh, actually was my volunteer assistant for the last nine years and we had a lot of success together we won our first championship his senior year and we ended up winning six total so it was it was congratulations thank you and uh jason's uh, as i mentioned i have one son biologically and i feel like jason's a a second son uh we have a very very close relationship and uh, he's got a special place in my heart for me Did you have any expectations for him as he entered the game? And if not, what is your view of expectations in general? Well, the first answer, the first question is, is my real hope for him that night was him score a basket. And I thought when he scored a three-pointer, I really uh, I really said to myself, it can't get any better than this. He's got a three-pointer. And then, of course, we made another one and another one. It was truly incredible. I think the other thing, though, that I really learned from that magical night was that you never know uh, what people can do. What I really, you know, one of my talks is a motivational talk, and I, I, I don't believe that you can do anything you want in your life. For example, I don't believe I could be a great jockey. I don't have the right body part, the type for that, and that kind of thing. But I do believe we can all do more than we think we can. And that was one of the best lessons I, I learned from Jason's night was that, you know, I certainly didn't expect him to score 20 points, but it really proved that you can do more than you think you can. And I think that one thing as a leader, which you got to be very careful, is you don't want to put so unrealistic expectations that it it turns people off. Mm-hmm. But I think you always want to find that expectations a little bit higher than everybody thinks they can reach. And when you hit that, you've got a magical goal or expectation is when you can, ex- and it just starts with simple terms, expect the best out of everybody, expect the best out of yourself, expect the best out of everybody. And when you get that mindset that you're going to 
uh, do the best you can on a daily basis. And the other thing is, I think you really got to keep growing as a person. And if you can get a little bit better each day, it's the accumulative effect. You know, I believe mm-hmm. life accumulates. And in the, each day, if you can get a little bit better after a period of time, you've just sort of developed and gotten a lot better. And that, that's uh, what's really, you know, it's like the law of compounding interest. You know, mm-hmm. the first day, you only make 50 cents. But, you know, after years of compounding, all of a sudden you look up and you go, wow, I've got a lot more money than I started with. You know? So same thing in, in life. You know, if you get a little bit better each day, it's amazing what you can end up doing. I love that point because I've, that's kind of how I've been taking um, the direction that I've been taking my life, and, and that is as long as you give 100% at every single time, then you know that you gave it your best. And, and I think when you approach it from that mindset, at least from my perspective, it in, in my case, it eliminated stress and worrying entirely. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it put me in positions where if stress does enter it, then the immediate thought, which is which became a habit, and that was, well, you gave it your best. Right. You literally put it all on the line, and there's nothing more that you could have done. And so within that, I think it, it also helps manage certain expectations that you have, which at the end of the day, when we think about it, expectations, they're, they're just dreams. They're just thoughts that we've had to begin with. Yeah. There, there are no concrete things that we looked at and said, well, you know, these things, they, they have to be achievable. Right. And so I, I think when you approach it from that mindset that I gave it my best and there's nothing more that I could have done, then it really does help you to manage stress and worrying and anything along those lines. You know, I, I saw a great little um, thought on stress, and I'm right with you, is that this gentleman, I was listening to one of his programs, he said stress is when you know you didn't do your best. And, and when you do something less than your best, then you're going to have stress about it. And I thought that was really powerful. And I'll add one thing, though, is I truly believe every high achiever I've ever been around or studied is, has this trait. And that's the art or essence of perseverance, the ability to that never give up mindset and learning from, you know, whether you use the terminology, of, you know, failure or problems. But when you learn from those Mm-hmm. That's helps you guide you in a better direction for things that we're always going to have challenges. We're always going to have failure. We're always going to have problems, but the ability to deal with them and learn from them and do better the next time. But with that mindset of what you just said of giving my, your best each time you do it, boy, that's a pretty powerful formula for success. Mm-hmm. Final thought for today's episode. And that is when the odds are completely against you, what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to? Well, I think the first thing is you got to know what you want. You know, as simple as that sounds is, you know, I I travel the country and one of the things I always talk about, in fact, I do a whole workshop on goal setting. And it's amazing. I ask, you know, my audiences all the time, how many people write their goals down? And and it's a very, very small percentage. And I, you know, I just give them a little bit of my research is that if you write your goals down, you're 10 times more likely to make them come to fruition, which is pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. So I think Clarity of knowing what you want, because that's what starts is when you then have obstacles or failures or whatever you want to deem it, is that's what goes back to what I've already mentioned, that the ability to persevere, that you're going to find a way no matter what. And I think that's the biggest difference. If you, you know, you study anyone that's had really huge success 
you know what? They didn't start that way. (laughs) They struggled like everybody else. You start at the bottom and you climb your way to the top. And they just, um, and I think that's really the really important thing is that you stay with it. You figure out what you did wrong, make the corrections, and then keep moving forward, you know, with that goal in mind. And then you got to understand, is your process correct? Are the things you're doing on a daily basis, are they helping you towards your goal? Or are they hindering you? Mm-hmm. And those are things that you got to make those corrections to be able to head in the right direction on a consistent basis. And, and like, you know, flying an airplane, you know, you, you know, you know, you go from Houston to New York City. It's not a direct flight. You know, they're <laughs> making adjustments. And that's the same thing in your life. You're constantly making, you know, different turns uh, so you can get to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your knowledge with us. It's, it was inspiring to hear your, your story and the things that you were able to accomplish throughout that journey. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand up and speak up stories, and ways you can be involved with overcoming odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you next week.